perfect song to get into this week's Fright Club. We do a little jam on <laughs> Michael Jackson and black and white because that is the subject for this week's Fright Club podcast. Welcome. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from madwolf.com. And it's a good topic because one we've been waiting to get to for a while. We've got special guests. We're psyched about that. We'll get to them. And speaking of black and white, it's a good time to do this subject because we actually just saw a brand new black and white horror film that is pretty creepy. It's awesome. Uh, the Eyes of My Mother. It's um, it's uh, an independent film, and it really looks like something you might have seen in the seventies. It's a it's just gorgeous, but it's the it's so quiet and restrained and incredibly creepy. So look out for that one. Yeah, we don't want to give away too much because I know you're you're writing your review pretty much right now, mm-hmm. right? So we'll get to that. But but yeah, look out for it. Very creepy and. We look forward to December the 14th. I know we've talked about this before. Mark it down. It's the next edition of Fright Club Live. Taking the show back on the road. We're going to be uh, live from the Gateway Film Center right there on High Street, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, we're going to be celebrating our favorites in Belgian horror. And we're going to be watching on the big screen one of our favorites. Perfect for Christmas. And that's Calvair. Hooray! I'm so excited to show that. And they're going to screen it in 35 millimeters, so that's extra exciting. And uh, we're already kind of putting together a little list for that. And I want to just shout out to Chris Ellis Levy, who tweeted that she hopes that we consider strange color of my body's tears, which I'm just going to consider because you asked for it. Because honestly, it's very Italian for Belgian, and I don't really care for the Italian so much. But I'm going to look at it again in case I was wrong. It's big of you. I do like the title, though. That's a pretty cool title. So we look forward to that. We've got to get to it for this week because we're finally <laughs> repaying that debt. We were uh, so, so happy to be guests a few weeks ago on the In the Record Store podcast. And we welcome from that podcast, Vince and Grant. You guys, glad to have you. Yeah, it was great to be here. Great to be here. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Thanks for having us. Well, we're, we're glad to do it. We're, I'm glad we could finally get our schedules together. But And we, we really had a blast. Um, being on your podcast where we talked about, we counted down our favorite horror movie scores because that worked well. Obviously, your podcast talks about music. Yep. And even though we only talk about movies on this podcast, we're huge music fans, huge music fans. So that was a great way to get together. And for people that aren't familiar with your podcast, how to come about, how long you've been doing it, what's it about? Let us know. Uh, it's been a couple of years now, hasn't it, Grant? Yeah, we're going on two years, I think, this uh, yeah. this January. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nuts. Well, basically, Grant and I have been uh, buds for a few years now, and uh, we talk about music and stuff, and a lot of hours would go by, and you know, Grant's got an affinity for music as well. And uh, one of the things we try to do on the podcast is to help people discover better music, and there's a lot of great local music in Columbus, Ohio, and, and Grant, you got a you favorite band yourself yeah i mean you know i've been a local musician here if, if that's what you want to call me i've been a musician my whole life and locally here in columbus for 15 years going on i guess and uh you know that's kind of how we got into it and we cover you know there's definitely a 614 bent but we like to cover everything we're just music files overall and yeah. you know with 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 a lot of focus on local well, there Acts. is, like, horror movies. One of the biggest aspects of horror movies is the emotion that it brings out in you. Sure. Because the creepier it makes you feel, you know, obviously, then that, that the better it is, in a way. So, for music, you know, for us, there's an emotional attraction to it. And what we try to do within the record store is just uh, give folks an experience with music that they don't know exists. And that's kind of what you guys do, is, is let folks know, hey, this is horror movies you may not know exist, and they're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's a lot of fun. And again, we were we were glad to be on yours, and it was... Great when you came, you pretty much came up with this 
uh, topic to talk about, which was perfect for us because this is one I think we've been wanting to do for a while. And Dark Dave has been asking for it for a long time. So this is for you, Dark Dave. Nice. We love you, Dark Dave. <laughs> we love you. I don't know who you are, but I love you. <laughs> He's got a lot of great ideas. He always <laughs> chimes in with us on Twitter. Uh, at Mad Wolf on Twitter, and uh, this is one he been, he's been asking for. We did do some months ago. We did uh, Silent, which has some cross, you know, some yeah. some cross yeah. pollination yeah. here with this uh, with this subject. But these are some good ones. You guys both have brought your lists. Uh, we've got our fuzzy math top six, top five, which, as I told you off the air, we do that sometimes. Nice. So. Uh, but there's some that uh, don't match our list, but some that do. But they're all great, and we're going to talk about all of them. A little bit. So let's get to who wants to start and run down your You're list. You're up, Grant. Okay, going. Grant. All right. The first one, and I have to partially credit the show, this show, uh, for finding this movie. Like in doing my research for this recording, um, I came across The Man Who Laughs, which I had heard of before, but never really watched it. And so looking at it, I put it as the first, meaning five on my list. And I think with a little more time, this may slowly move up my list because, man, it, it's 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 horrifying. And it's the things that happen in the movie that are just really disturbing. And, and some people don't even necessarily consider this a horror as horror goes. But if you if you look at it and, and you watch it and go out there and watch it, if you're listening and you'll see what I'm talking about, it's just so disturbing it's it's where the inspiration for the Joker from Batman yeah. came from, and and learning that Batman was always my favorite growing up as a young kid. Yeah, so yeah. learning that about it, and and just the whole scary clown thing, which we're all familiar yeah. with, it was one of the first times you've seen this like disturbing clown face. And without spoiling too much of the movie, man, it's disturbing. It's really good, and it's it's a classic. And number five in my book, probably moving up. It's funny because it's uh, Victor Hugo wrote the novel, and uh, yeah. of course he also did The Hunchback of Notre Dame and any number of just tragic, just tear-stained yeah. French movies. Yeah, Le Mis and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and he does. He knows how to work uh, sympathies for just like oh yeah, really downtrodden folk. And that man, this one is so melodramatic like that, but it's it's really effective in the way the visuals of it, like you say, like the, his his face, the man who laughs his face. Yeah, is. He's he's so tragic because everything that happens to him is horrible, and yet he can never cry. Yeah. You know, he's always smiling. Yeah, it's, it's, it is really one that sticks with you, and it looks awesome. Yeah, and even if you, you didn't know, you'd only have to watch it for like 30 seconds, you'd instantly see Joker. You would yep. look at him and go, that's the Joker right there. Immediately. Yeah. Like, it's almost so obvious when you find that out. You go, oh, of course. And I, some, you know, a lot of people rate horror on, on the, the, gr- the gruesomeness of Gross the deaths. Factor, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. there is one extremely awful death right in the middle. One of the worst I've seen. Like, I'm, I'm comparing it to, like, the Saw movies and things, <laughs> which aren't necessarily my cup of tea. But I'm like, wow, yeah. what a brutal... Well, death and all these things, all these elements that make horror great and great horror, you know. So, well, it's like one of those titles when you hear it, "The Man Who Laughs." It sounds like a really crappy, like Mr. Bean movie, you know, or like a <laughs> right. Penn and Teller special or something like that. But as you begin to understand the film and dive deeper into the subplot and the plot lines, and all that stuff, "The Man Who Laughs" suddenly takes on a very dark tone. It Ugh, does. It's so dark. All right, so that's uh, that's number five. Now the rest of yours mentioned quickly, but you yeah. your list and our list really kind of jive. So uh, so yeah. what? And we'll talk a lot of these about a lot of these titles in more detail, but quickly. I'll just read them off, um, and most of you are probably familiar. And yeah, uh, like George said, Nosferatu at four, which was hard. I almost had it at two. Whoa. This is tough. Uh, Eraserhead. Lynch has been one of my favorites since I was a boy. Uh, I have to get him on there. Eraserhead. Night of the Living Dead. And and classic again, man. really classic. tough. But I put. Psycho at one for a lot of reasons, and I'll just leave it at that for now. Well, we are with you. Yeah. We are with yeah. 
you, man, because <laughs> that looks a lot like ours. But yeah, I'll yeah. tell you what, Vince has, has some good ones, too, ones that maybe at least a couple that I would not have thought of. So hit us. All right, all right. So what I got is I want to hit a few of my honorable mentions. Obviously, Dracula from 1931. You've got Invisible Man from uh, 1933, which is also a great flick. I mean, there's just a, a creep factor about the unseen. Mm-hmm. I think the unknown, the unseen are obviously great themes in horror. So if you can really encapsulate that and a main character in a film, that's obviously uh, something they're doing right with that movie. Uh, Teenagers from Outer Space uh, from 1959. <laughs> this one is so bad. <laughs> it's goofy. <laughs> there, there are movies that are so bad, they're good. And this is one of those that is so bad, it is good. Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 has this, and it is an instant classic when they do it. It's yes. a classic in its own right because you have like, oh, Betty, where are we going? <laughs> Grandpa, there are murderous monsters coming over the mountain. That strangely looks like a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's awful. Okay, so uh, we also have The Bride of Frankenstein, Incredible Shrinking Man, and it, uh, one that has got to be a mention, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah, of course. The, 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 the one from 1956. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Okay, all right. So on uh, my official list, my top five, my non-fuzzy math, <laughs> even though I did fail stash class at Ohio State, <laughs> true story, um, The Birds, 1963. Yeah, five. we were talking about this uh, before we started recording. It's, it's one that a lot of people... Probably remember as a color a color film. Well, they they yeah. did both, and and I right. think it depends. I think probably most people saw it on TV as a kid. This is my guess, and and it's about fifty fifty shot which one you saw. Mm-hmm. And you might remember her hideous green dress. Actually, is why I I think vividly remember the the color version. But the black and white version, for a lot of reasons, is creepier to look at. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, uh, actually somebody touched on in our podcast and in the record store is, uh, has there ever been like music or an album cover that kind of scared you? And and there's album covers that kind of freak you out. Like you'll have... Birth um, control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you remember that one. Like Zeppelin, cover some Zeppelin covers a little scary and things like that. Um, So there there are things that, um, that, that just frighten you as a kid when you first see these things. And The Birds was one of those things where there were themes and things in that movie that just were kind of silly now as an adult when you see them. But this movie just kind of had that shock factor in my head as a kid when I saw it. I was like, oh, my gosh, those chicks eyes are missing. Well, yeah. and, and Hope is Hope is scared of birds anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. Seriously? So, I love I birds. Yeah, probably I'm, partially because of that movie. I, I mean, that, that's yeah. probably true. Yeah. That terrified me. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the other thing I always liked about that movie, aside from the, the birds aspect, everybody's just a little bit off in the way yeah. they behave. Yeah, actually, it's one of my favorite things about a lot of Hitchcock, but I think that he does it weirder in the birds. Like, the things that they do, you know, and I've said this before, they just, we're going to walk up the side of this hill in this gusty, gusty wind, carrying <laughs> martinis, yeah. look down over this child's birthday party, drink our martinis, and then talk about driving. It's just, they're all really odd, and they're, none of them are it's actually super did last great night. people. Right? <laughs> it's just, a, yeah. It's a the, random Tuesday. Yeah, it's yeah. just yeah. so, Tuesday it's, night. it's a cut above the quirkiness of Hitchcock, and he was so good at creating these weird situations, atmospheres, using camera angles, so much that the color almost didn't matter because he was creating an intensity with his shots and his, you know, the way he shot it. And well, stuff. There, there's also even a way of, of, you know, as a kid, you begin to understand a little bit more of the world slowly but surely, and, you know, some quicker than others. But one of the things I think that horror movies, and some of these movies did for me at least, was exposed me to some darker themes of the world. He was able to take something, aside from hope, that most people aren't scared of and make it terrifying. So, yeah, that's that's a great one. That is number, that's number, five. you're number five, right? Okay. Yes. Uh, am I going number four now? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. all right, all right. Okay, number four on my list. From 1959, a little bit of uh, Vincent Price, The House on Haunted Hill. Oh, nice. I know yes. Hope likes that one. 
Yeah, and you can never go, go wrong with Vincent Price. Honestly, he could he could make almost any list at some point. That dude could read like the most innocent chapter in a children's book, and he'd sound like a like a raging freak, <laughs> yeah, like a little bit of a pervert. Yeah, like, I mean, thriller, the thriller laugh, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, like, case in point. Oh yeah, totally. Okay, so uh, House on Haunted Hill. Why this is on my list is. You have like the, the was it the girl had like a noose or something on yeah, her neck? Yeah, yeah. That was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the biggest one is when the people fell into that vat of acid, I think it was, <laughs> and the skeletons come out and it's just like, oh <laughs> so terrifying. Yeah, but then later you watch it, it's like, okay, there are the strings right there. Right, right. <laughs> but so. there's there's always something great about a good old haunted house flag. Oh yeah. You know? That's just oh, something yeah. very, one of the very first things that maybe you might be scared of, just a haunted house. Oh, There's yeah. ghosts. Mm-hmm. I mean, even some of the most, you know, commercially successful to this day, like paranormal yeah. activity, things like that. They they hit on that same theme and they still get under people's skin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's just one of those movies that I think, um, and I think the reason why it has an appeal and kind of a sentimental appeal to me is the cheese of it a little bit. But also, I think it, in a way, and this sounds kind of weird, like you think horror flicks, okay, you're freaked out and it's all that weirdness. But for me, I think it's also a sentimental thing because I was younger and it was, you know, in some aspects, an easier time in life. And so I think when I watch movies like this, it almost is uh, like if I catch a clip of Mr. Rogers on Facebook or something like that. It's almost like, man, I remember when things were just a little bit more simple. Simple, well, simple. In the much the same way the music works. You yeah, know, yes. can take you back yeah, to where exactly. you were Absolutely. when that song was at. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good one. I'm, I'm a little surprised that didn't pop up on on hopes list but we'll we'll get to that but that's a good one so that is your number four number four number three is from 1931 frankenstein obvious classic never heard of it Uh, yeah mary whoever i I, I don't know and i know that one that's one we're going to talk about uh, in detail coming up here so so basically yeah so basically frankenstein obvious reasons we'll talk more about that and say with your guys's list um the wolfman this is one and this is from 1941 i think it was lon cheney um there is a certain scene where his face just transforms. And I remember the gypsy talking about this silver tip and all that stuff. This stuff is like, like this is also kind of a sentimental thing for me because dad has these little films and he used to play this in like a reel-to-reel thing in our living room. And we'd watch this. Really? Even when I see, they're like little square cases. Wolfman on reel-to-reel? Yeah, dude. Awesome. Remember, nice. I was pretty tight. So we'd go over and, and we'd be sitting there watching this and it was always like, Man, I never seen that before. It was the first time I'd seen something like that. Yeah. So when I watched this, it was like you're in the security of your own home, but your mind goes almost out of your body and out of the security of your home, and your mind is almost yep. controlled by the filmmaker. Yeah. That's what's so freaky about mm-hmm. this movie that I I feel safe here at home, but my mind feels totally insecure. <laughs> And the other thing about it is they seem to keep wanting to remake it, and the remakes are just horrible. I think part of that is because there was there's an innocence about the original. And, yeah. and one of the things yeah. that works so well and, and I think often does work in a, a Wolfman type film is that Lon Chaney Jr. is so incredibly sympathetic. You just yeah. and he, he just he doesn't fit in. I mean, everybody else is like European aristocracy. And here's this big lumbering American guy. And oh, look at his luck. Now he's a wolf man. Yeah, yeah. Your heart just bleeds for him. <laughs> darn the luck. Yeah, you're like, ah, oh, darn it. I had plans today. And Grab everything. the nair, honey. Yeah, I'm having a bad make day. Make you feel bad and then scare the crap out of you. Yeah, I know. He, he is. He is like one of those people where you see him. He, he There's people like like um, like Vincent Price. Like He automatically has that creep factor. And there's certain characters in movies that, gosh, like you just... Who was it? The guy who played um, the bad dude in Lord of the Rings, white-haired... Uh, Christopher uh, Lee! Christopher uh, Lee, yeah. that dude, automatically gives you like the uh, kind of feel. 
Lon Chaney, he just, Lon Chaney Jr. just has this, uh, I'm thinking, I'm having the Warren Zevon song going through my head right now. Yeah. <laughs> Lon Chaney Jr. walking with the, yeah. <laughs> so Lon Chaney Jr. just has that look of like, y- you want to hug the guy and say, dude, here's a bowl of soup and give him a pat on the back right. and say, rock I think, with, You know, I think it, that's a, a really important factor in a werewolf movie because they're yes. about a curse, right? Yeah. It's not their fault and you wish something better right. for them, but they're doomed. And, yeah. I, and I, so I think that's a, one of the reasons that the movie works so well. Yeah, well, how cool it is when, when Grant, you can have a character and you can be like you, you, you hate him but you love him you know it's like you're freaked out you want to give him a hug but you want to shoot him in the face with a silver bullet yeah i think that's <laughs> you know? that's one of the oldest tricks in the book to sort of you know draw you in with this emotional sort of investment and then you know just just freak you out or yeah. you know oh, yeah. throw it back in your face so and, to speak and it also in a, in a way plays on that whole jekyll and hyde thing you've got the two sides oh, of a yeah. person yeah. you know uh, in this case, like you said, it's a curse. So, yeah. yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And that is your number, number two. Number two. And number one is... Number one is... Hey, 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 hey. Night of the Living Dead. Woo-hoo. Night of the Living Dead. It's actually good segue. One. That's 1968. A, that's a perfect segue because that, with our fuzzy math, is number six on our top six, top five. And this is one This is one that we've talked about, obviously. It's such an iconic horror film. We've talked about it on a lot of our podcasts. So it's great to get your guys' perspective on, on why it works for you. So many reasons, uh, you know, there's there's nostalgia in it for me, you know, I, I, it's one of those where I remember exactly where I was when I was shown it and, and um, you know, looking at it as an adult and appreciating film for the process and all these things is the handheld camera work, the intensity of that cemetery scene at the beginning, the mm-hmm. leading up to mm-hmm. just total chaos and pandemonium and you know, I don't know if I should like the ending is, is so huge for me, so I, I won't bring it up just yet. But <laughs> but the ending is like bold. It's so Dude, bold. And... Bold is, well, you got themes of race in this movie too. Oh, that's oh the totally. Thing. Yeah, that, that's gutsy. That's gutsy. Is. I actually think that's one of the reasons that black and white works well for it. Yes. You know, yeah. um, and he did a lot of things. Uh, Romero was the cinematographer for this movie, which he, he was not. Is that regular right? for the rest of his, but it's because he didn't have any money. I which, didn't again, realize I mean, that. For so many reasons, his lack of funds worked incredibly well, benefited this project, yeah. because the more sort of verite it seemed, yeah. the more realistic it seemed, and the creepier it was. And the black and white also, once he started making zombie movies in color, you could see how he hadn't really mastered the... Yeah. Chalk and the blue the and the whatnot, yeah, aspect, but the, yeah. yeah, but but they looked so great in black and white. Well, I think one of the one of the memories I have of this movie is uh, I can't remember what year it was, but my sister had to be maybe early teens at best, and uh, we watched this, and we were um, you know the the obvious, and I don't want to spoil it because that movie is so powerful at the end. But basically, at the end, I remember watching it, and and one of our neighbors who a little bit more of a wilder character, and this is a guy who. You know, it's kind of had some hard living and uh, he, he, you know, not somebody he'd be easily shocked by films and stuff. But at the end, he saw it and he was like, oh, no, come on. You know, like, you know, <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. <laughs> so when you got something that can really get in your head like that and suck you in emotionally and then just cut you down there at the end, that's a powerful movie. And my sister, to go back to my sister's thing, when we watched this, she was young enough to be really and I and she she's uh, she's older than me. So I was really young when I saw this movie. So when she saw it. She at at the at, we have a hill in our backyard where we uh, were sledding the next day and it was snowy white outside kind of a little bit eerie. She was standing out there just like stiff as a board, like oh my gosh. So that got in her head. <laughs> yeah, you know, and if I can uh, just to mention, 
um, in tribute to us and what we do here, the the section of the movie where there's they get the radio tuned in and oh, there's the dude. radio broadcast going on and they're boarding up the house and like you know maybe now it seems a bit cheeky, but if you put yourself in that time, just the suspense and and yeah. and again how how that sort of draws the the audience into the situation and puts them in the world at that time and then. I you would know. give a hundred dollars to hear any one of the three of you say mayhem happy characters on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, here's the the thing is, I, I think about this movie and and the biggest thing, you know, to go back to what you do on in the record store, it, the music, the, the opening of that music is really, really just just creepy. And, and I was actually earlier this year, I went to uh, Punxsutawney, PA, to to do Groundhog Day, and I, I was there. I saw uh, Punxsutawney Phil come out. We got That's to awesome. the park at like two in the morning. It was crazy. Uh, it was the weirdest thing of my life, you know, but it, it was fun. So on the way back to make the trip worth it, we went to the cemetery in yes. Evans City. Awesome. And That's right. And it, it was Great. so funny. I forgot about that. I mean, you really, you get in there and there's people like my, my brother-in-law and my one of my best friends and I were just like posed next to the grave that, you know, Johnny got his head clocked on. And <laughs> the one where the, you have the one where the, uh, the zombie Barbara. goes and he like, he gets his hands on the side of the, on the side of the grave and he's coming over ready to feast on, you know, Johnny or whatever. We actually found those graves and stuff like that, and we were playing, you know, on it. And it's funny because you think there's, there's real people buried here, yeah. <laughs> and they're like playing around in a cemetery. But I don't regret it. Well, you know, we, thanks, we, Romero. You you gotta you gotta tell real quick. We, we got to meet uh, Barbara, uh, no. Judith. Judith O'Dee. Did, did, no, did you really? Yeah, we did. No yeah. way. Oh my gosh, she's and adorable. She t- and when we got to go oh. ahead, about the picture, yeah, tell yeah. me that. So so the picture we had her sign had the the first zombie in oh, it. And she's stop. like, oh, it's Johnny, and just signing it like she she was so adorable. <laughs> That's nice. so cool. She was. Well, she it was it was fun, and and this movie just it is it is honestly for me it 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 just personifies so what 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 is so good in black and white cinematography and just horror in general yeah it does and it also not only the the casting uh with the racial aspect but also the the political and social undertones when consider what was going on at the time Mm -hmm. not only with race relations but with with vietnam with with you know strife and all that stuff that was bubbling under yeah um it it takes on some serious undertones yeah if i can i just want to mention one thing before we because i know you guys got your list but there's just one scene in that movie where the daughter was bit by a zombie on the way in. Uh-huh. And and I think I can bring this up. It doesn't spoil the plot line of the movie, but there's a scene where she just starts wailing on mom with like an ice pick or something like that. <laughs> to this day, you know, you know, yeah. I, I cannot watch that. I don't like this. I, I don't want to watch that. There's just something that just gets in my head about it. I'm like, I, I always fast forward through it. I watched <laughs> the movie for the first time with my wife and she's just like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And I was like, yeah, hey, I'm not watching this, man. It, there's just something about that scene. It just gets, ugh, it creeps me out to my soul and I mean that. All right. In it's a like, good way. All right. That's our number six in our fuzzy math of our favorite black and white horror movies. And we'll go up to a, not only a, a classic horror movie, but a classic cult. We were just talking about cult movies the other, we were. The other day. And this one definitely qualifies from 1977. An eraser head. Oh, yeah. Oh, you are sick. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's Lynch, and it's Lynch early on in his career, and, and there was so much, you know, controversy around the whole thing, and a lot of people hated it, and a lot of people loved it, but it, it was grotesque, and it did it did well commercially, which is kind of a surprise if you watch it nowadays, you know. But um, it's just it's wonderful, and and the fact that so many people to this day question what it's about, right? You know, it, it, to me that really makes for any type of great film, black or white, new, old, otherwise. You know, that is really one of 
I think his great techniques and one of the great techniques of film is to make you interpret it. So. Which is, he has purposely not said anything about it just for that reason, I think. Classic just to Lynch. Let so many people. I mean, the one that jumps to the surface in watching it is you think, okay, well, it's got to be about the fear of marriage, family, fatherhood. Fatherhood, because he was having a exactly. child around that time, I but think. Yeah. You know, there's more going on than that. Well, I think, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the great thing about every David Lynch movie is that. There's no real knowing for sure what any of them are about. Right. But he does that in a way that I think doesn't feel gimmicky. It just feels honest, feels natural to to his process. And I think that's why that's more satisfying than other people's kind of attempts at surreal type filmmaking. Absolutely. Um, I do want to mention the cinematographer for this film, Frederick Elms, who also is kind of the standing partner for low level filmmakers like Jim Jarmusch. Literally oh, my all-time right? favorite, yeah. uh, Ang Lee, and he's done most of David Lynch's films. And, and of course, Jarvis does a lot in black and white as well. So yeah. he has a great style for, for black and white filmmaking. And in this one, I think, used it to kind of like throw back to almost silent films the way it looks. Because they're, especially with the little tiny people in it, there's mm-hmm. something weird and campy and kind of macabre about the way he works with shadows and sizes and and. And just the color palette. Absolutely. Well said. I mean, the campiness, which is, you know, so much of why we all, I'm sure, love horror and the genre. And and Lynch has always had a great way of being able to capture campiness and at the same time capture emotion and, yeah. and true artistry, like like the, the, the interpretation of things and the surrealism and all that stuff. It's yeah. amazing how guys can take certain disadvantages and actually turn that into mm-hmm. an advantage of the film itself. Yeah, and there's in this one, of course, there's the creepiness of the quote-unquote baby. Yeah, the baby. And you're just kind of <laughs> looking at it. What is that? How did they do that? Do I want to keep looking at this? But uh, one, two little bits of trivia I love about this movie. I guess Stanley Kubrick made the cast of The Shining watch it to get in the mood. Really? That he ooh, wanted. Ooh, that that's he, awesome. That he wanted for The Shining. That's that's some mood. And, and he the, watched it to get in the mood himself. That oddly makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, the man in, in Eraserhead, the man in the planet, that is played by a guy named Jack Fisk, who is Sissy SpaceX's longtime husband. They've been married for like 40 years. That's and they funny. were dating at the time. And I guess Sissy SpaceX did some of the... Puppetry. Oh, yeah. is that right? Yeah. That's funny. Did a little, some backstage stuff Very on it, so. cool. Yeah, Very little, cool. But uh, Eraserhead, the cult classic. We used to have it on DVD and it broke. It broke. No! Yeah. So I guess Christmas is coming. Is that what, <laughs> yep. that what we're saying? <laughs> Amazon, guys. Amazon. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the internet. The classic Eraserhead from 77 is our number five. And that moves us up to one. Another one on your list, a classic from 1960. Our number four is Psycho. Is anyone at home? Oh, that, uh, that must be my mother. It's not as if she were a, a maniac. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Interesting. Number four. Just number four? Interesting there. It's hard. I mean, these are all such great. I you know, know. They, they yeah. could all be number one on a on a different day, a different mood. You yeah, know? Psycho has been number one on at least one of our lists. Yeah. Well, I think with this movie itself, um, I think one thing to go like, kind of like we, we do music on our show, and I think about um, you know just that score. Like, people still do that every single freaking day. So the music's obviously powerful, but there is just something so when when you're in the shower, you're already kind of in a vulnerable tight moment, oh, yeah. and to have that exposure and that horrific thing just happen there, it's like 
man. Yeah. Like, you got whacked in the shower. That's, that just sucks. It's everyone's worst nightmare. I mean, at least get stabbed in bed, like, if, if you're just you're clothed, but naked. In the, imagine you come in there, oh, hey, Steve. Oh, gosh. Ah, <laughs> oh, sick, man. <laughs> like, you're just, it's it's such a, there's such a, a creepy exposure there that I think that is really mastered with that. You know, Hitchcock had, had already been making color films. I mean, by 1960, most films were coming out in color, but the, I think the reason that he probably went with black and white in this was because he got away with a lot more. Like, he would never have gotten away with all the blood in the shower had it yep. been red. There was, no, you know, there's yeah. no way. And yeah. and John Russell, the cinematographer, was actually nominated for an Oscar for this film. Back in the day, a lot of the films we're talking about, they were made in black and white because there was no other way to make them. You know, at this point, you've got some of the greatest minds working in Hollywood and they choose black and white and they really took advantage of it. it the film just looks outstanding. Yeah, I think it wasn't only, you're right about the fact that you could get away with more. And I think it also was a cost factor because I don't think the studio thought it was going to be a successful movie, in which case he, and because of that, Hitchcock ended up taking a percentage yeah. for more of it, and which wound up being a fortune. Yeah, you know, but that, I think it was a, a, the double the double reasoning there for the he could get away with more gore and for the the cost factor of it. But it worked so well when when coupled with his fantastic shot making mm. in this movie. And- and that's what really does it for me. Like that, that for me, that was an exercise in camera work. I, I remember seeing it as a kid again, a, a movie where I remember exactly where I was. But when I really watched it as a young adult, and I was kind of learning the camera and 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 learning about the cinematography and how he used the shots to draw you in and and make you think one way about Norman and then another way and 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 give you different sort of moods with subconsciously on that level is is like utterly brilliant. You know, and and that that really did it for me. Has yeah. that's why it, I think I put it at one was because of the production aspects behind it. He had a hard time getting financing for it because it was based on a book, and you know most people thought that it was just a horror movie and yeah. kind of beneath him. Yeah. But he and his wife rewrote it, and they made a lot of really dramatic changes, like killing off the lead in the first reel. Yes. And you know, and 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 then having the heroine be somebody who really just robbed someone. So you know what I mean? Sure. That, yeah. You know, same thing that it kind of led to do with the birds, whereas he created characters that threw you off because you were used to rooting for certain people and rooting against certain people, and the whole film the most sympathetic person is the titular psycho right uh-huh. <laughs> so you know it's it's just another way that i mean he was such a master well there's just something in with a lot of black and white horror less is more and that's such a simple scene such a memorable scene well i, I usually think less is more in movies in general yeah, yeah. But, show but, don't yeah, tell all yeah, of that yeah but uh and i love the way even in black and white they play with shadows in the movie the yeah. shadows of the stuffed yes. the stuffed and all the taxidermy on the wedding and all that and yes. of course they have to hide his face in the showers you can't see who it is yep. so psycho is our number 4 on our fuzzy math list and it's moving up moving us up to number 3 another one that uh, was on yours 1931's frankenstein <laughs> This is the story you've heard about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. Now that one to me, you think of horror in general, and I think that's one of the first things that comes up. You know, just because horror obviously was, you know, back in like the 30s and things like that, which is kind of a, a baby-type genre. So when you see a film like this, to me... It's one of those things where you go over 
and it kind of was an usher into those themes. Like for me, um, you know, go back to the number one on my list was Night of the Living Dead. That is one of those films that is um, kind of the, the, the first zombie film. And to me, this is one of those first horror films and it really experimented with like, you know, another sympathetic character, mm-hmm. you know, like Lon Chaney. It's just, you, you wanted to like Frankenstein, but he was killing people, man. You felt awful for him and yeah. you, could, you could sympathize with him. Well, because it, just, it wasn't his fault. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think right, the right. most powerful film scene in the entire film is the one with the little girl. He just wants to play with this little girl, oh, yeah. right? Oh, but he yeah. has no concept of his own anything, of his size, of his of his strength, of and and that is such a tragic, heartbreaking moment. Yeah, and really I think is. it's uh, um, the emotional wellspring is one of the reasons that that movie ha- just stays with you. Well, I think one of the things too is I think what that movie that I've seen also touches on. For me, I think when I see that film, I think of several things. I think of moments in my life where I was like, man, you kind of have this concept as a kid, like everybody's good, but but no, they're not. Everybody's not good. And then I just think of just yeah, it, it's just that it just relates to me as a kid a lot. I think. And I think it's worth mentioning how much the movie changes from the book. It does. Yeah. I mean, of course it does. But I think James Whale was very clever in the way he did this. And when also the sequel is, um, you know, that he uh, he kind of shifted the focus away from the mad scientist and toward uh, the monster, for one thing, because the monster is so much more sympathetic and, you know, and I think easier for us to relate to, because like you said, I mean, the monster is basically a child who doesn't know his own strength. He doesn't know better. And mm. we have all been there. None of us have been mad scientists. Right. So <laughs> it, it makes that version much, uh, I think, more compelling to people. And I guess there was a bit of film early on. Bella Lugosi was considered for the role. And there was a, like a 20 minute screen test reel oh. that was now considered lost, right? That hasn't been seen <sighs> since. So, yeah, that can you imagine stinks. that? Yeah, it's another good, something good to bring up about this whole thing. And in my research, I was, like, amazed to see how much of the film was either, like, Nosferatu, which maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, you know, that film was technically supposed to be completely destroyed. Oh, yeah. You know, um, the, the Man Who Laughs was, like, basically put away after the 20s into the Library of Congress, and it wasn't until, like, Peter Bogdanovich dug it out, mm-hmm. was like, no, this is great. And then they, you know, some restoration companies put it back, you know, it, to where it's viewable. Yeah. Because literally, yeah. You, there was no place, people forget, there was no place to actually go view these things for years. Yeah. It's just amazing to me. I have a couple of other movies that I just want to, to throw out there that are kind of related to Frankenstein. One of them is The Black Cat, right, with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, which is a yes. super weird movie. Like, it's an yeah. incredibly weird movie, and and Rocky Horror Picture Show owes a lot to this movie. But, yeah. God, it looks gorgeous. It yeah. looks insane. Um, and then, of course, Dracula, which was on which was on your list as well. Didn't make my list. I'm actually not as big a fan of the Bela Lugosi Dracula or the Todd Browning Dracula, as a lot of people are, although it's obviously a classic film. But for Todd Browning movies, for me, it's Freaks. Uh, which is another great black and white movie that didn't make the list but deserves a mention. And speaking of, you just mentioned Nosferatu, uh, which we'll get to right now because that's our number two. Der Fluch wird auf den Menschen lasten. Der Fluch des Vampirs Nosferatu. Yeah, uh, Nosferatu, I think I had it at four, but it almost made two. Like, right before I texted, uh, you know, with, with notes and things, I was like, man, should I put this at four or two? Um, other than it being a brilliant classic and, and you know, uh, very controversial in the sense of Bram Stoker, it's it's based on that, and, and he didn't like it at all, and, and the courts ordered this thing to be destroyed, and uh, it's just some of the most frightening stick with you kind of imagery you'll ever see one till this day in my opinion one of the greatest 
monsters. Yeah. You know, the the face, just the imagery, just you can't get that. I don't care if you've mm-hmm. never seen the movie. If you've seen a picture, the promo picture oh, alone yeah. will yeah. scare the pants off you. Yeah. Well, you're right um, about it was a court case. All the known prints and negatives were supposed to be destroyed under yeah. the settlement uh, from a lawsuit from Bram Stoker's widow. But Murnau thought he <laughs> he was obviously stealing from that story, but mm-hmm. he thought he was changing it enough. Ah. And one of the main things he changed was the ending, which started the whole popular culture about vampires, that they could be killed through sunlight. That was his change to the ending, and it's become vampire lore since then. Wow. One of the things that I think about, too, in, in these types of horror movies and black and white in general is, is you talk about less is more, and I feel like with color and the high def, the 4K, the 1080p, and all that stuff we got today, it's almost easy to create a horror movie, just to add blood, guts, somebody getting their heart ripped out of their chest. Anybody can do that. Yeah. But I feel like there's almost a skill that has been lost as we advance with video technology because you had to really get into it with these. And I'm not saying like guys today make horror flicks are terrible. To me, it's like you go back in the day and you're like, holy cow, these guys really had to work it hard because they had a camera, they had some shadows and their face, and they had to go from there. When you think about it, you know, it, it was almost harder to make a black and white horror movie really scary. Today, maybe a little little easier. If, I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But to me, that's kind of how I feel when I think about things like Nosferatu and others. Yeah, uh, F.W. Murnau was kind of infamous, uh, especially at the time, for being really a stickler. And he was trying at the time to make the world's most authentic horror film, uh, which I think he did because it was 1922. So how much competition did he have? But actually, uh, as I've said before, this is my absolute favorite vampire movie. This is my absolute favorite vampire. Max Schreck is a genius. The creepiest looking guy, just like you said. And what I love about this, I think most vampire films and most versions of Dracula take it in a very romantic direction. There is always that. And this one, he kind of mirrors it with the Black Plague, right? There are a lot of rats. He looks like a vermin. And it's the the scenes of nature in it, the bugs, the microscopic footage. Yeah, Yeah. there's no romance to this. It's just creepy as hell, which I love. (laughs) One of the interesting things about this being in black and white is that a lot of the scenes with featuring Count Orlock were filmed during the day. So when you watch it in black and white, that's a blooper that's extremely obvious. And then they, the later quote-unquote official versions, it was tinted to make it look like night. But yeah, if you're going to do that during the day, um, you can tell that's during the day. (laughs) And uh, As a side note, my honorable mention a newer movie that came out on Netflix, um, Anthony Perkins' Son. Have you seen the I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in Your House? No. Have you seen that no. yet? No. It's Anthony Perkins' Son. Ooh. It's um, um, incredible. You guys will absolutely love it. But the reason I bring it up is because he has gotten back, and he's caught a lot of criticism from younger people, back to your point, about a simpler movie, simpler scares, um, drawing you in and, and, and you know making the emotion get at you versus a bunch of gore special effects yeah. that, that spook you yeah. that one will take you back into this era and it happens to be anthony perkins son who's directing nice. and wrote it it's, what's the name of that again it's called a pretty thing i i think it's i am the pretty thing that lives in your house or nice. the house and it's set it, it's period piece tonight honey Dude, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. so I, I can't I can't stress it enough. I All think right. it's a beautifully shot movie. It's artistic and and it's simple. Yeah. Well, there were a couple others you wanted to mention under under the Nosferatu title. Yeah, I mean, as, as silent films go, uh, the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari is is one of the most gorgeous black and white movies ever mm. made. And and if if I were kind of compiling this basically just on that, who does black and white best? What is it like? Caligari obviously would have made that list. It's just a spectacular movie to look at. And then as long as we're on the, you know, Murnau, 
Nosferatu the Vampire, the um, Werner Herzog version from 1979, also mm-hmm. black and white, also great, also super creepy. And then a modern black and white horror film, because they do come out every so often, that mm-hmm. really makes ex- exceptional use of the black and white is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. That is mm. awesome, as vampire movies that. go. Look it up. It's really good. I'll be checking that, that one came out. From, yeah, that came out a couple years ago? 2014. Yeah, a couple years uh, ago. That's yeah. e- it's even just, just creepy, just the title of it, The Girl it Walks is. Home Alone. It's not the title of a Dateline. Next on Dateline, <laughs> The Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. <laughs> that's true. And awesome. that's, uh, yeah, Nosferatu, 1922 is our number two. And that leads us up to number one ba, of ba, our ba. favorite black and white horror movies, The Bride of Frankenstein. She's alive. See, it was so bad. It's like you gotta make it like five. You gotta get your fuzzy math to six. This is one of those two that I remember seeing, like some of the first horror movies that I saw. Man, The Bride of Frankenstein. I mean, there's just something like when you think of that, you think of that weird, like curly up in her hair there and all that stuff. She wakes up and it's like, ah, like, man, yeah, I'm with you. Sorry. <laughs> so I never really gave this one the time of day to yeah. be p- really? perfectly honest. Yeah. So you know, I guess as as a as an audience member, as a viewer, tell me why. Tell tell me what, why, why I need to grab this thing. Elsa Lancaster, who, for one thing, world's first goth girl. So God bless her for it. Amen for that. <laughs> That's a selling awesome. point right there. <laughs> right, I'm but into that. The other thing is that so James Whale. This for me is uh, it's very it's it's very uncommon for a sequel to be greater than the original. And yeah. for me, this one is obviously because I have it higher on the especially list, especially in horror. Yes, yes. very yeah. very hard, especially in horror. But so James Whale took even more liberties with the Bride of Frankenstein because it was obviously just sort of tangential ideas from the original novel. And I think what he did was really focus on the idea of the outsider he broadened it so it wasn't just the frankenstein's monster now it was also the clearly gay dr pretorius who who i think in a lot of ways represents james whale and and then the bride of frankenstein so he hits a lot of you've got you know outsider women you've got uh, there's a lot of outsider culture that all comes together and i think that there's a great sense of humor a black sense of humor in this movie that in a lot of ways pokes fun at dr frankenstein who yeah. was such a dork. He was such a giant dork in the first one that I just thought, finally, somebody's going to make fun of this guy. Um, you know, and I think it, I think it's a spectacular use of, of black and white, especially with her hair and, yeah. you know, oh, and yeah. the shadows oh, yeah. and her big white gown and everything. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for a lot of reasons, I think I think he was freed up from the original story to sort of uh, invest a little bit more of himself in it. And I think it paid off really amazingly. I also like the twist of, you know, the bride is made for Frankenstein, but she has other ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. want to be his bride at all. She's going off in a different direction. I like that twist a lot. Yeah, I think, too, uh, you look at it, and I also, like, wonder, like, I'm, like, hoping, like, praying, like, down the road, this is not, like, my marriage, where she, like, wakes up and it's just like, what? What is this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we all hope that, I yeah, think. Yeah, you know, but I, I think one of the things that I just think about when I when I see this movie is just, there's that, again, like, tie back to what we were really talking about, that emotional... Uh, attraction like like this, you know, and, and I'll admit it right here, you know, one that's not black and white or horror film is uh, Les Mis. I watched that and like bawling yeah. my eyes out. So to me, when you have that, me too. Oh yeah, bro, yep. come on, come in, I've give seen me a, it a few times <laughs> so, on, on the stage. It's it is, something else, man. It's, it, when when you have those strong emotional themes, I think that that is something that really just sucks you in and just draws you in. I think what's also interesting watching this movie now, you notice how few shots actually have Frankenstein and the Bride in the same shot because 
their respective makeups took so long. Uh, it was like three hours for one, four hours to the other. They There weren't too many hours in the day where they could film together. So you don't really see them too often in the same shot. Yeah. But another less is more how much, how well yeah, that worked exactly. out. Yeah. You well, know, and I think also the idea, you know, as much as I think he, he created much more, uh, a, a wider variety of compelling characters, it still comes down to, we love Frankenstein. We love that yeah. monster. Boris Karloff is magnificent in yeah. this movie. And even though we like the idea, you know, it's a it's a great provocative notion, a feminist idea, especially that early in film that she decides, well, I don't want this, so that's what matters. Didn't yeah. we all still want her to pick him? Didn't yeah. we all yeah. be like, oh, <laughs> we come feel, on, right? he's such a good guy. Well, that goes back to the sympathetic character. We talked about him, we talked about the Wolfman. Yeah, yep. that goes back to you get, you're able to mine that sympathy for your character, and that's why it works. Well, what I'm really hoping they do is they should do like a spinoff of this and have like, Frankenstein, you are not the father. <laughs> and they go over and have like a Maury Povich-style <laughs> Frankenstein thing with that. But what I was going to say is about this too, you think about it too, that, and I think a lot of great horror flicks and movies in general play on some strong biblical themes. So if you think about it, it's almost like Frankenstein is Adam, she oh, yeah. is Eve, and he's just like, have this together, this is the way it's supposed to go. And it's just like, no. And I think a lot of horror just takes the grain and goes against it, and that's what that did. It took oh, a biblical a, theme and trashed yeah, it. You bet. There's a strong God complex in this for sure. Yeah. yeah, and I think James Whale minds that to such a hilarious degree. I mean, he makes it so subversively funny, this idea of the God complex. And that checks in at number one, The Bride of Frankenstein, on our list of our top six, top five, uh, favorite uh, black and white horror films. And uh, that's, that's well, that's good conversation. I'll tell you what, you yeah. guys, you did your research. Nicely done. Thank you for, Thank you. You, you actually allowed me some time to have an excuse to rewatch and to re <laughs> read and research movies, which honestly is one of my... Like my greatest passions in life is is the process and and just film in general. So thank yeah. you guys. Oh well, thank you. Yeah. It's Vince and Grant once again. It's in the record store, the podcast. So tell us where we get a hold of you, the podcast on Twitter, on any social media. Yeah, just look for Add in Record Store on Twitter and the Record Store on Facebook. You can check out our website, conveniently titled uh, in the Record Store dot com. Uh, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, all that stuff. So check it out. Appreciate it, guys. All right, we love it. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate it, and we look forward to. The next edition of Fright Club Live, it is going to be December the 14th, and we are going to talk about... Calvaire. We're going to show Calvaire. We're going to talk about the five, I'm going to keep it to five, best Belgian horror films. Okay, as always, we start in the Torpedo Room, a little happy hour, about 6.30, and then we head into the theater at 7.30. We tape the podcast live in front of that great audience at the Gateway, and then we watch the movie. So let us know. Give us feedback on this, our favorite black and white horror films. Uh, we're at Mad Wolf on Twitter. That's always the best way. Also, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook. You can always hook us up, hook a message up through uh, Golden Spiral Media, who hosts the Fright Club podcast. So once again, Vincent Grant, thank you so much. It was a thank blast. You. Thank you. And until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Holt Madden. And this is the Fright Club podcast. Stay, Stay frightful, frightful, my friends. friends. Yay! <laughs>